Hi, and welcome to the Ready for Polyamory podcast. As always, my name is Laura Boyle, and I'm your host. Today, we're here with the hosts of the Multiamory podcast. Jace, Emily, and Dedeker are here to talk with us about their new book, as well as to talk about microscripts and how to use them to improve our communication during conflict with our partners. So we're going to be talking about that, about general relationship advice, and the way that that uh, sort of impacts the non-monogamous community and the different ways that that looks in different communities. And I generally had a really good time talking with them. I hope you guys enjoy listening to that conversation. You can find links to their book in the show notes. And as always, you can find the Multi-Amory podcast on all different podcast hosts. Thank you guys so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. And I've really enjoyed getting the chance to read your book. And for any listeners who don't read the blog, I've got a review on the blog of the Multi-Amory book as a whole. But today I really want to especially talk about the stuff that you cover in chapter four of the book, which is this idea of microscripts, because this is something that I feel like a lot of people are actually doing in their relationships without realizing they're doing it. Mm. Yes. Um, Yes. And for those who aren't, it can be like a really big relationship changing hack. Um, I agree. So would one of you be willing to kind of give us the like two second or rather two minute version of what microscripts are? Oh boy. Okay. The two minute version. I can at least get a start of, and then we can see where we end up there. So essentially microscripts are little custom codes that you build into your relationship communication to help interrupt an existing pattern or communication pattern that hasn't been working in the relationship. Essentially, it's harnessing the power of your own relationship in-jokes and memes in order to get you through some rough patches. And of course, in the book, we take this deep dive into the research behind this, right? So, you know, there's something known in research terms as idiosyncratic language. And if you think about maybe the in-jokes you and your family members had growing up, whether it was a joke or if it was just like, I don't know, when you were a toddler, you you called a remote the, I don't know, like the dingle hopper or whatever. And so then the family adopts that. And now we all use that term and we know what it means. Right. And we take this into our relationships as well. And research suggests that when we have idiosyncratic language with our family, with people that we love, with people in our community, that makes us feel closer together. Like this is this is part of the glue that binds us together. And so the whole point behind microscripts is harnessing that power um, to get us through rough patches in communication. Right. And it's this idea of this kind of idiosyncratic language or this almost familial language with our partners, giving us the moment to pause in a negative interaction and think about what we're doing and reset it if it's a situation where we might otherwise escalate. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's what's so cool about it is so even if you are just naturally using that in your relationships and that's, you know, that's part of it, right? We tend to have little in jokes and little things that we say or call things. But once you realize that you can use that intentionally, when you realize like, hey, we're, we're having this problem where we keep having this this fight or this frustration where I express some insecurity to you 
And then you get all upset trying to figure out like how you can solve it. And you're frustrated that it hasn't been fixed or, or whatever that is. And once we realize like, hey, we can use microscripts to help break that pattern, we could take something where instead of saying, um, well, okay, here's, here's an example, actually, a real life example from our own life. So um, I, for my work, will occasionally want to or need to work in the evening, like outside of normal work hours. And at first, Dedeker would get really frustrated about that, really upset about that, not because it ruined our plans per se, but because she was worried that I would be working too much or that I was stressed out. And she was kind of taking that on when I, when I didn't need her to. And I was like, no, I'm, I'm, I don't have a problem with that. And so we had this come up a number of times where I would then try to explain, well, you know, I, I just, it's easier for me and less stressful for me to do this extra work in the evening than it is for me to feel like I'm falling behind or to like try to get up early or, or some other thing. And I was like, so this is actually the less stressful option for me. And if I were hanging out with a friend and said, Hey, you know, I'm, I'm not available tonight because I'm playing games with one of my friends. That wouldn't be a problem. That'd be like, okay, maybe it'd be like, Oh dang, I wanted to hang out with you, but it's not like that's mm -hmm. terrible what you're doing. And so just randomly, we were talking about like, how can we microscript this? And what we came up with was that I'd say, I'm going to hang out with my friend, Billy Bob Thornton. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what he's just like the name that popped into okay. my head. Right. <laughs> There's no special connection We're, there or real life connection there. Right, <laughs> right. We sadly are not real life friends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but that was our little like code word. So the idea is that one, it creates a little bit of a silly in joke for us that I say I'm hanging out with Billy Bob tonight. Uh, but then it also allows me to take all that stuff I said, right? I, this is less stressful for me. I would rather do this than work at this other time. Like I'm not upset about this. This is okay. All of that gets encapsulated into this one tiny little sentence. So I'm hanging out with Billy Bob tonight for, for an hour or for a couple hours or whatever it is. So it gives you that shorthand to pack like all this other meaning and all this other stuff that you've talked about into this super quick little reminder that helps both of you remember, oh yeah, okay, we've talked about this. We don't have to fall back into that same pattern. And then I can take that as a cue to be like, oh, awesome. Say hi to Billy Bob. I love it. I'll see you on the other <laughs> side, right? You know, that it, it has served as almost like a little bit of a fast forward button, almost like a little bit of a circuit breaker to get through that interaction. And now the thing that I always have to clarify is that I don't think you can necessarily jump straight from conflict into microscript, right? Like there's a lot in between that has to happen, you know, so to still take that same example with Jace and I, we still had to sit down and understand, well, why is this so, so upsetting for me? Right. And why does it become upsetting for you? And what's most important here for you? What's most important here for me? What's the way that we would like for this to go? You know, so it's like, there still has to be that mutual understanding. And then we can bring in the creativity to get us through that. Right. You have to have the meta communication of having the conversation about the conversation at least once to yes. set the microscript. Yes. So it's yeah. a great conversational hack once you've figured out that there is a problem and have a conversation about how to solve it. But it's the tool that you use as the solution. I just want to point out also that you can use microscripts with a variety of people, not just your romantic partners. It's something that the three of us use in our business as well. We found early on in our business partnership that 
we might have like a big meeting that was happening, but it would go on for a long period of time. And one of us might get a little distracted and be on our phones, for example, or go on the mm -hmm. internet or whatever. And so we were trying to figure out like, how can we dissuade each other and ourselves from getting in that habit? So something that we said for a long time at the beginning of our meetings was phones in the garbage. And we talk about that in the book and it, we're not like literally putting our phones in the garbage, but we are just maybe putting them away or putting them out of sight so that we don't have that temptation to look at it, for example. And now we don't really even need to do that. It's kind of become a habit just to mentally think, hey, I'm going to put my phone away so that I don't have <laughs> to look at it or think about it or anything. And I'm fully engaged in the task at hand. And Laura, I really appreciate that you point out the fact that we all already do this in our relationships. Like most of us, I do think come with an innate drive an innate instinct for being able to do this in our relationships. And it, it is, there is something about just waking up to the fact that like we can harness this pretty intentionally. Um, and, you know, so most of our examples so far have been fairly silly or lighthearted or, you know, apply to a particular conflict. For myself, I've found that microscripts can be really powerful when dealing with a partner who has mental health challenges or particular flavors of neurodivergence, you know, because that in itself can introduce, it introduces difference, right? It introduces a place where my brain doesn't understand the way that your brain works or the way that it's working right now. Right. Um, mm -hmm. so yeah, so another story that we shared in the book was, you know, I was starting to go to pretty intensive therapy back in 2018 for working through some PTSD from a prior relationship. Um, and, you know, it was really good that I was doing the work, but it was bringing up a lot of stuff, right? You know, like for a while, the PTSD symptoms intensified. And I just felt like there were some days where I was just walking around without any skin on. And of course, my partners at the time, you know, really trying to figure out how the heck do I deal with this in a supportive way that makes sense, you know, when things are a little bit unpredictable. Um, you know, so again, you know, in particular with Jason, I we ended up coming up with this microscript where for myself, like what would happen is like, sometimes these triggers would seriously come out of nowhere. Right. Mm -hmm. It wasn't necessarily predictable that suddenly, you know, my heart would be racing and I'd be sweating and I'd be having these ruminating really negative, dark thoughts and um, aggression would come up. And so we came up with this microscript where I would just tell Jace, just so you know, like I'm a puffer fish right now, because that was, that was the closest proxy I could find. That was how I felt right. Like big swollen up, angry, spiky, you know? Um, and Jace's part of that script was then to ask, okay, cool. Should I get out the fish gloves or should I leave you alone? Mm -hmm. And you know, the fish gloves to mean like, okay, no, I'll stick around, but I'll just be very careful. And maybe if you poke me, I won't take it too personally. You know, I'll just proceed with caution versus I'll give you some space. Right. And what I really appreciated about that was the fact that, you know, when I was having this like super overwhelming PTSD response, I don't have to sit down and be like, okay, let me explain to you what's happening. And I don't know what I want. And so just sit with me while I'm in this distress and can't really talk to you or really understand what's going on. And that it, again, it was just this shorthand that enabled us to get through that interaction with relative ease and grace. This literally came up with my other partner this last weekend, you know, because he's also a very particular flavor of neurodivergent. And, you know, he came up with a microscript of like, you know, sometimes I get into these thought spirals and I need to like pause. And so I'm just going to tell you, Hey babe, I'm 
I'm full dorsal vagal right now, which, which is a polyvagal nerve theory reference that you don't have to get. But, but for me, that's the cue of like, okay, I know what's what he needs, right? If he says that, I know he needs like some space and needs to go take a walk or whatever. Right. So it's not, it's not always going to be silly and lighthearted, but the whole point is it being a shorthand that's easy to grab and access in the moment when maybe some overwhelming feelings, sensations, dynamics are happening. Right. And it can be like with the puffer fish example, kind of silly language for a non-silly experience. Me and my girlfriend have similar like silly language for a non-silly experience when I'm having mental health struggles. I describe it as the brain weasels are driving the bus today. Love that. Right. And so she knows that that's a day where I need some additional space and sort of additionally soft handling. And she can ask some pointed questions about what I do or don't need or acknowledge that she doesn't have the sort of capacity to give that and just take space. Right. And so these little kind of things that we can say can be really lighthearted ways of dealing with that, or we can have similarly short, but not particularly lighthearted short ways of saying it that can be equally valid microscripts, right? I could just say, hey, it's a bad brain day. That's right. one that another one of my partners uses for the same kind of scenario. And like for someone else that might feel really invalidating, but for him, that's the phrasing that he prefers. Hey, I'm having a bad brain day. Oh, okay. Like, what do you prefer that I do about it? I just need you to not take it personally. Love that. I love and I think that that really ties into one of our other tools that we talk about all the time on the show and in the book, which is the Triforce of Communication. I mean, there literally you're just telling your partner or your partner's telling you in so many words, I just need you to hear me. I'm just letting you know a thing. I don't need you to react in a specific way. Mm -hmm. And, you know, another microscript may tie into Triforce number two, which is that I need help and reassurance and love. I just need you to be there for me. And, you know, with Dedeker and Jace, I mean, you may be telling each other that through so many words, or you may want real, like, actual problem solving or something along those lines, which can tie into a microscript as well. So I do appreciate how our tools kind of tie together and the triverse of communication is our uh, first tool in the book. And basically it just lays out what I said. It's telling people what it is that you need out of a conversation with them. Yeah. And I really appreciate that all of these tools are applicable, as you guys noted earlier, not just to our romantic relationships or not to particular styles of romantic relationships, because like, yes, a lot of people follow you guys because of polyamory, like hence it's called multi-amory, right? But you can be in really any style of healthy relationship, whether or not it's romantic, and use these communication tools to improve the way you talk to folks in them or the way you understand one another. Yeah, you know, something that I've been saying a lot in these interviews is that, you know, really to access this book, I, I think it boils down to two things, you know, one thing being that it doesn't matter what type of relationship you're in or what type of relationship you're thinking about. You have to be comfortable with the fact that non-monogamy exists in the universe because we do use non-monogamous examples, not in all of our examples. Actually, in many of our examples, we leave it fairly ambiguous what style of relationship the people are in. So that's one thing. And then the second part of it, and I do think this is particularly relevant to microscripts, is you need to have some sense of self-efficacy and empowerment around 
the communication in your relationships. So as in some sort of at least self-belief that I can change my patterns at the very least. And ideally I'm with a partner who is a team player and believes the same thing that like, we can try things. We can experiment with things. We can put things in place to try to change some dynamics, you know? So instead of feeling like things are just stuck this way, we feel empowered that we can try things to change it and see if we can make it feel better. And to that like kind of note of changing things, a lot of these scripts are about the idea of changing a conflict that might be sort of a conflict not about anything in particular into the two of you addressing that conflict together instead of the two of you being in conflict against one another. And so I think that's kind of a useful way to reframe what you're doing in conflict whether or not you're using this tool in particular, right? Like, I don't know. I think all of the different tools in the book can kind of boil back down to that. Like, what are you trying to communicate? And are you communicating it at one another or to one another? Yeah. yeah. So I have a, an example of this in mm -hmm. that, um, uh, so in the spirit of trying to be a good multi-amory podcast host and think about applying these tools to <laughs> relationships other than my romantic relationships, I realized a few years ago um, when I was examining my relationship with my mom, and there's a lot of reasons why I was examining it at that time, but I'm not going to get into that right now. The two of us did end up going to therapy quite surprisingly, but part of the impetus was that for that was realizing wow, I feel so lucky in that in my romantic relationships and in my friendships, I feel so empowered around the communication where I feel like if we run into a snag or a disagreement, I feel like I have so many tools and I have so many tools that I know that I can, you know, co-create something better with this other person. I feel so empowered. And then when it came to my relationship with my mom, there's no, just stuck. It's just stuck that way. And it makes sense, right? I don't think we are born into the world feeling like we're a team player with our parents necessarily, mm -hmm. you know, for good reason. Right. Um, and, and then when we become adults, it becomes this weird thing where it's, we, you know, it's, it's hard to break out of those parent child roles. You know, it's, shifting it's hard. That dynamic is hard. Yes. Shifting that dynamic, mm -hmm. showing up with your parents as adults, seeing them as flawed adults also, like there's a whole lot of stuff that happens. Right. And I noticed that and became really frustrated, right? Like, why do I feel so empowered over here? And I feel completely helpless and powerless over here, right? And so that was part of what inspired me to pitch the idea of going to therapy with my mom. And amazingly, she accepted, never in the world thought that she would accept because we kind of needed that extra help, right? Like I couldn't necessarily go to my mom and be like, hey, so let me tell you about this tool that I made up, um, you know, and let's just try it because I don't, that would have gone over very well. Right. As someone who's been to therapy with my mom, I agree that it is a hard sell, but it helps. Okay, you know, you That's know, there, there are very right. few yeah, of us. Yeah. There are very few yeah. of us. Most other millennials, when I, I don't know if you've had this experience, most other millennials, when I share that with them, they're like, are you crazy? Like you go to therapy because of your mom. You don't go to therapy with your mom. Both. <laughs> Both and. Yeah. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And so it's funny getting through that experience and getting to the other side of it it's, it's still a different feeling relationship, right? Like mm -hmm. I, I still don't sit down and like do radars with my mom necessarily, but it, I felt like it was an experience that got us onto that page of like, oh, we're co-creating the communication together and we can choose to co-create it in a better direction, right? Mm -hmm. We can choose to meta-communicate a little bit. And 
this all happened without me necessarily sitting down my mom to be like, this is what metacommunication is. This is what a microscript is. This is what this is. Right. But it, it like that shift was so important that like, okay, we can come to this as adults. We can recognize the areas where we're both contributing to not great communication dynamics. And then we can feel empowered to change it again. She's still my mom. She still drives me nuts. Um, it, it's still not perfect, but it's loads better than it used to be. Yeah, for me, it was absolutely <laughs> essential to us getting to the point of like viewing each other as adults on the same page and on the same team moving forward, as opposed mm. to like parent and teenage child butting oh, heads, despite <laughs> the <laughs> fact that I was in my late 20s, right? Like, mm -hmm. yeah, That's I great. mean, the teenage regression is real. <laughs> <laughs> But so, yeah, I agree with you that all of these sort of things are applicable across all different ones of our relationships, although I think it's sort of the easiest to see it when we apply it to our friends and to our partners. And again, maybe I'm a weird case to apply it because I'm the person who went to therapy with her mom also. And because I'm a little bit of a relationship anarchist, right, like I'm right on that line. So some of my friendships also look a little funky compared to some people's friendships. Um, yeah. But in general, I think this idea of taking some charge over our communication and our ownership of our part in our communication patterns and um, being kind of self-aware about what's going on with us is really important to be able to make any of those changes. And I appreciated that several times in the book, but especially in this chapter, you guys noted that like being willing to look at your own patterns was important to be able to make any of these tools work for you. Yeah, Definitely. one of the things you said uh, a little bit ago was that some of these tools enable us to kind of turn towards our partner as opposed to viewing our partner as maybe the enemy or the combatant in a situation, which I think so many of us get into those patterns. And it's really unfortunate because it kind of puts the relationship in many ways at a standstill. It's difficult to get past that idea that, well, whatever they say that might be triggering to me in some way, that means that they're out to get me, that they're harming me. Instead, you know, if you kind of assume good intent at, at first and go from there and say like, let's tackle this problem together. Let's get curious about why it is that this is continually happening. We talk a lot about like diving into the history of why something may be really challenging for me. What happened in the past? What happened in my partner's past? Let's talk about it. Let's get granular. I think those things are so important because it really enables us to learn about what it is that's going on underneath all of the like surface level bullshit that often occurs when we are in conflict with our partners. For sure. And like everybody's different histories really feed into these things in ways that we don't always recognize, especially in heated moments. Totally. I think in general, this kind of idea that you guys bring forward throughout your podcast throughout the book of being able to speak directly with one another and not just directly but kindly and assume trust mm. in one another is really important at that kind of basic level of figuring out how to have reasonable relationships with one another and is something that i wish were more present in 
more relationship advice um, as much mm. as that sounds a little bit like cheesy. It's true. <laughs> yeah. I wonder for you, Laura, is there, when you look at more mainstream or more traditional relationship advice, like are there particular things that frustrate you the most? I mean, I'm one of those people who reads everything that comes out and goes, oh, okay, I can take these 10 pages of this terrible 200 pages of mostly <laughs> unusable, like <laughs> how to convince your man that you are the best and every yeah. other woman is yeah. the worst on the street, right? Like, mm -hmm. and I can still find the like 10 pages of it that are actually like, okay, but talk openly with your partner and figure out how trust works underneath that. Right. But like, there is so much of it that is just figure out how ownership of your partner works and feed into jealousy and whatever in very monogamous mainstream stuff. And even among the non-monogamous stuff, so much of it gets into the nitty gritty of, but what do you do when you don't want to be in the same room as your metamor? including mm -hmm. my own stuff, right? Like, because people ask me those questions, those are the questions that I answer. Mm -hmm. And like, that's important, but it's less important than at a baseline, like, but how do we have the relationships with individuals? Right. Right, what to do when you disagree with how to hang out with someone at a party is less important than like, just kind of generally communicating well and being aware of when you're feeding into a negative dynamic right because yeah both of you are probably doing it <laughs> for sure for sure yeah it's that being willing to ask those questions and look for you know what are the places where even if you don't want to put it as like where are the places where i might be the cause of this or at fault because there are some times where it is more on one side but it's more that sense of what are some areas of this where i might have some agency where I might have some power to change this a little bit, to, to make this a little bit better, even if, you know, the like relationship lawyers would rule it's 100% the other person's fault, which is unlikely that relationship lawyers would do that because there's usually a little bit on either side, but let's say they do. <laughs> uh, let's say they do, that even then, it's like if your goal is just to be right and to beat your partner, then sure, it's all their fault. They have to deal with it. But if your goal is, I want to have as good a relationship as I can with this person, then that takes that step of, okay, what can I be doing here? Now, one big caveat I do want to make with this is that a good relationship does also require both people to put effort in and to care for it. And if you are in a situation where as a overall pattern, like not just in one area, but overall, there is this pattern of I'm putting this work into this. I'm trying to do stuff to make this relationship better. And the other person just will not go there with me. They're not willing to, you know, own up to their part of it. They're not willing to help with that. They just can't be bothered as hard as it is. Like that's just not a healthy relationship and it probably never will be. And so it's, it's okay to break up in that situation. They don't even have to be a bad person for you to break up with them. It just might not be the right relationship for the two of you. Cause maybe those things that they're unwilling to budge on for someone else, they don't care, no big deal. But if it does matter to you, it's not like they don't have to be a terrible person who did a horrible thing to you for you to say, this relationship isn't working. And I know that sucks and that's so easy to say. 
and it sucks to do it, but it sucks more to stay in an unhappy relationship longer that will probably eventually break up or be miserable anyway. And then you've spent so much more time and effort on it in the meantime. Right. Incompatibility and unhappiness and lack of reciprocity are all valid enough reasons to break up without someone needing to be the embodiment of evil themselves. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's such a slippery slope, though, because it's something that frustrates me about a lot of traditional relationship advice and the history of traditional relationship advice is there is that narrative that you have to be willing to sacrifice everything. everything. Mm. All of nothing. It. Yeah, nothing is mm-hmm. like there's no bridge too far. Right. Well, that, and the thing of it's got to be hard to be worth yes, that, that so too. much. Like, Oof, the fetishization yeah. of yeah, the struggle. Yeah joyful right like uh-huh, if there's yeah. not joy there as well it can be hard sometimes but you should right. have both yeah yeah and this is also extra tricky because there are many people usually women but not always women who are have been socialized to be the shepherds and stewards and caretakers of relationship mm-hmm. you know and that's not a bad thing. You know, there's a reason why they find that women sometimes tend to do better because they tend to have more support networks, right? Because they tend to be socialized into, yes, take care of your friendships and be vulnerable in your friendships and, and things like that. But it does mean that, again, depending on your socialization, depending on your membership in particular communities, that in relationships, I don't know, like often what I see with people that come to me for help is there can be an extreme mismatch in um, who is putting an effort to maintain the relationship or to acknowledge patterns. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes people are not even on the same page about whether or not relationships need maintenance and care. You know, that's a whole thing. Right. And whether a pattern exists, mm-hmm. only one person will acknowledge that the pattern is there. And the other one, when it's pointed out, goes, oh, well, I guess that's true. Mm-hmm. But. Mm-hmm. 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 Yeah, absolutely. And like these same things that apply to those relationships about romance also tend to apply across like household responsibilities and things like this. And then they compound. And I find that those sort of non-romantic, but then bleed into the romantic parts of things, fights are the things that tend to feed into people's conflicts in the ways that then get all of those little logistical questions that end up taking up the big chunks of the non-monogamy kind of world of how do you do this because all the questions are well like but what do i do if i feel a way about my partner going on a date when i'm at home doing this chore because Mm. i don't have this time about that right like yeah and it's so it's so hard i'm sure you've run into this we were literally asked this on an interview just a couple days ago you know people love to ask the question of like what tips would you give for people who are opening up their relationship or or trying on non-monogamy, one. it's so hard. Like, yeah, sure, there's some gems we can pull out that are hard to argue with, you know, like communicate honestly and often, <laughs> right? You know, there's some, some really easy stuff, mm-hmm. but I know for myself, that's so hard because I'm like, well, can I first sit down and hear like a 10 year relationship history? Because that's all the stuff <laughs> that's gonna come up mm-hmm. when you start to open up, right? When you when you start coloring outside the lines and you start doing something adventurous but that you're not used to, right? And if so- If you don't already manage your own calendars, do it. I, yes, yeah. yes. If, if you- If you person does all of the kids stuff, mm-hmm. read right. the fair playbook. Oh yes, oh, like, thank yeah. you. Great thank recommendation, you. yeah. Love fair just... play, yeah. <laughs> If you've never had the experience of, 
oh, my partner's just going to go do their own thing tonight. Mm-hmm. You know, like their time belongs, you know, like there's so many little things that, you know, if we don't know what, how that's been handled in your relationship history, it's really hard to give very specific advice right out the gate. Right. And so it's this thing where it's like, well, every relationship is unique and that isn't helpful for giving you your listicle, but. No, it's not. (laughs) Yeah. I think that inherent question of individuality really comes into play when opening up a relationship as well. Like hearing you all talk about this and knowing that like I'm currently in a monogamous relationship and seeing just the ideas about a, a community, like a couple being sort of one individual versus two people having their own set of individualities and being able to thrive in other relationships outside of the dyadic one that maybe it came from initially that this relationship started at. And yeah, I I think especially in a lot of monogamous uh, self-help books or whatever relationship help books, it does become so much about the couple as opposed to the individual. Mm -hmm. And I think both are important both can be important but it is that question of how can we help the relationship itself thrive while also allowing each other to thrive as individuals and figuring out what you know is best for all three relationships all three things yes i think while we're complaining i got a complaint to to throw on top of the pile but go ahead laura i'll save it Well, no, I was just going to say, like, I think both monogamous and sort of polyamorous or non-monogamous relationship advice would be improved by just the idea of not being advice for relationship, but being advice for individuals who engage in relationships, Mm -hmm. which I think Mm -hmm. to a greater extent, your book tries to be. And I enjoyed that about it in that it's like, these are ways you can communicate in your relationships, but it's advice for you as a human. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that dovetails into so we we talk about the Gottman Institute a lot. We reference the Gottman Institute a lot. I, I this is overstating it, but like I think I have a little bit of a love hate relationship with the Gottman Institute. You know, I love their research. You know, I did their training for couples therapy, and also they they got a lot of blind spots. They got a lot of you know areas that could be improved. And I think in one of their latest books. So Jason and I, we we went through their eight dates book that came out in 2018. And I remember they laid out this fucking weird metaphor at the beginning for <laughs> relationships that, and, and it, this was all like a cautionary tale about emotional affairs, mm-hmm. right? Because oh, you can't boy. have that. Here we go. <laughs> and it was kind of like, yeah, in your relationship, like the two of you, you're building a house together, but then sometimes like suddenly you find like there's a window, like someone has there's a window in your house and it's a window to the outside. And then they may start talking to someone else through that window. And then, and then like, they're leaving the house and like, you don't want that. And and I was like, okay, so you want to be in a house with no windows with your partner. Yeah, I know. Right. Like what? <laughs> Wait, so they're like imagining Clarissa explains it all. And the best friend is climbing in the window. I, I, know, I don't know. You're like, and wait, you've you want to be Clarissa's that dad over. and push the friend out the window? Is yeah. that what's yeah. happening? Wow. I, no, no, it's like, have no windows. I think yeah. it was like, make sure there's no windows in your house. Like, yeah. you know, it's a so fortress silly. of solitude. <laughs> Just a, yeah. And it, I mean, it's hard because on the one hand, I mean, the whole emotional affair narrative, there's parts of it that I agree with where, for instance, if you're having troubles in your relationship or frustrations in your relationship that you feel like you cannot talk to your partner about, 
And so you go decide to talk to someone else about that. I'm like, that could be an issue, right? You know, especially if you're exclusively talking to someone else and not to your partner about your frustrations or your desires or needs. Again, this is regardless of non-monogamy, monogamy, whatever. Like, yeah, that's an issue. That's probably an indicator that clearly there's some channels of communication blocked in your relationship and you should examine that. But I think the traditional you know, relationship advice so often collapses that with just like having friends, mm-hmm. having other important people outside of your relationship, your romantic relationship, right? And those things are kind of treated as one and the same. They're the same dastardly window in your house that should have no windows. Yes, your underground bunker that you should be in. <laughs> there your you bomb go, shelter yeah. of a relationship. Yeah, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's one of those things like emotional affairs and the phrase work wife, like Oh yeah, the work wife and work husband. I've been called that before. Who's wait, whose work wife are you? Well, I, when my friend Thaddeus uh, called me his work wife when oh, I used yeah. to work with him. Yeah. yeah. Right. But it wasn't a bad thing back then, but I think maybe now it would be worse or something because he's married now. Right. Some people use it totally neutrally, and then some people use it with like this tone. Yeah. Yeah. It's the same tone as the emotional affair people. And I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. Someone's work friend is Mm -hmm. a problem now. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, in general, I think we can all agree that like the lists of the million ways you may be micro cheating are a problem. I forgot about micro cheating. Oh, what a a classic. I forgot about that one. Yeah. All this stuff gosh. I don't realize is outside the bubble. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. It's all the stuff that we try not to consume and then we see it and <laughs> right. we go, oh, yeah. no. oh no. Are the monogamous no. people all right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, a bunch of them are and a bunch of them aren't and we would like mm-hmm. to move more of the aren't into the are column. Totally. Right. Yes, right. yeah. And that's definitely something that I think very much motivates us not only in writing this book, but also with the show is I, I don't want it to always be, oh, those toxic monogamous folks mm-hmm. over there. And the same way that we don't want all the monogamous folks to be like, oh, those messed up relationship weirdos over there. Right. You know, like, I really do believe there's a certain amount of like socially proven community wisdom on both sides of that spectrum that both sides could benefit from. Right. And so it's a little bit of that constant translation process and trying to make these things accessible and trying to make these things feel less threatening right you know Mm -hmm. for us for my brain anyway like the metaphor I always come to is this idea of you know being able to walk into a room where there's monogamous folks who don't feel threatened by the fact that I'm non-monogamous and I also don't feel like I'm a weird like a weird weirdo (laughs) by being around Mm -hmm. the monogamous folks yeah exactly we want it to be at the point where like it is not weird and threatening to my somewhat conservative cousin that my partner of eight years is married Mm -hmm. there you go right yeah and so at some point we will get there but this was not the year (laughs) (laughs) right this is not the year but we're moving in that direction hopefully yeah exactly so i appreciate you guys coming on and chatting with me Thank you so much for giving me your time. Uh, And I will include in the show notes links for folks where they can get the book. Um, Of course, everyone can find the Multi-Emory podcast on all of their favorite podcast hosts, um, as well as on your website. And Mm -hmm. uh, Well, thank you, Laura, for having us. It's been a pleasure, and we hope that your audience enjoys it. So thanks once again to Dedeker, Jason, Emily for coming and chatting with me about all of these issues. 
Uh, and I hope that all of you enjoyed this. Check out their book, which you can find at the links in the show notes. Uh, and of course, feel free to check out the Multiamory podcast or to find me again here next Thursday on Ready for Polyamory. Have a great week.